Amen. As we come to the word, Lord God, today, as we come to your scriptures, we do indeed ask that you would speak. We ask that you would speak through your word. We ask that by your word and by your spirit, and even through today's teaching, which we submit to you at this time, you would shine your light into our hearts and our lives. And that, Lord, we would not only hear, but that we would receive. That we would not only receive, but that we would believe. That we would not only believe, but that we would apply. That we would not only apply, but that it would multiply. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. When you were a little child, what were you afraid of? Sorry for you at home. You can only shout at your screen, but I won't hear you. But I want people here in the room to shout out. What was something you were afraid of? Did you hear that? Dark, 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 dark. Now, there's other things. Somebody could have said spiders. Somebody could have said gators. Somebody could have said sharks. Somebody could have said my brother. (laughs) Yeah, my mom. A certain belt hanging in a certain closet. but dark. It's probably the most ubiquitous and common human fear. And it's not just little children that are scared of the dark. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you today still are quick to get the light on in a dark room when you come home alone late at night? It's a feeling that people can relate to. I didn't ask for hands, but people are showing it. They're like, yeah, maybe they want somebody to come be with me when I'm alone in the dark. The Lord is with you. But dark is scary. Why? Because we can't see. And so we don't know what might be lurking in the dark. We don't know where the road might go out, where the rail might not be there, where something might be there that we don't want to be there. We can all relate to being afraid of the dark. We can all relate to the beauty of finding light. And in today's portion of the Samuel story, this examination not only of the priest and prophet Samuel, but also the story that flows from him, the days of Israel, the rise of kings. We're going to look at light and dark, at truth and falsehood, and we're going to look at this in the light of the reality that God speaks. You'll notice something in the message today, throughout the message, there's going to be a parallel of the symbolism of light and sound, the idea of seeing things and hearing things. Will you say that? Seeing and hearing. People say seeing is believing. That may or may not be the case. But hearing is receiving as well. And so these two senses are going to be intertwined as symbols in today's message on being an attentive servant. 1 Samuel chapter 3. But before we get to that, let's remember where we've come from in this series. Samuel's story began in the closing era of the judges military-like leaders of various tribes or tribal regions in the days of ancient Israel before there was a king. This is after the time of Moses. God had given his word and given the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant. God had established a system of worship and relationship. Let me say that again. Worship and relationship with the Lord. I'm very uh, blessed, speaking of relationship, that we as a church have a wonderful relationship in the body of Christ, not only within this church with each other, but also among churches. I'm privileged and honored to be speaking this afternoon at the, uh, the worship service of uh, um, PCF of the Valley, San Fernando Valley. Amen. Hallelujah. I thank Pastor Leo, uh, my dear friend and brother in the Lord, and Pastor Henji for that invitation. And uh, there's another reason why I bring that up, not only uh, because of relationship, but the message I'm bringing there this afternoon talks about worship. And the reality of worship, it goes a little bit back to what I was saying a moment ago, that even slipping on a slippery slide at camp with a lot of friends is worship of the Lord when all of you together know that you are there because God brought you there. And that your enjoyment of one another and that relationship and just the fun of life that you can have in this wonderful world that he created, because it is good, is an experience of real worship of God. God had given worship and orders of worship to his people as a part of relationship. It's really important that you and I remember the intertwining of those things, the connectivity of relationship and worship, because when worship loses the element of relationship, when it 
When the light of relationship goes out of worship, worship falls into the shadow of religion and religiosity and legalism. And it not only fails to fulfill its purpose, but it actually begins running on a perpendicular track. It takes a right angle into the wrong direction. Worship and relationship are intrinsically tied together. I guess I was a little tongue-tied there for a moment. Lord, help my tongue. When we recognize the reality that relationship is part of worship, we need to also look at the corollary of that, or the, the, the reciprocal, perhaps, which is that worship is part of relationship, especially if we're talking about relationship with God. If we are going to have a real relationship with God, it is supposed to be according to his terms because his terms are good because he not only lives in the light, he is the light. So if we want the light of the Lord, we need the word of the Lord. And in the word of the Lord, there is a way to worship, which is first to open, to acknowledge, to yield, to hear. (laughs) What is it that, that we were told? How will people be saved unless they hear the word? And how will they hear the word unless it is proclaimed? So God comes and proclaims the word and, in fact, is the word. And the word is a light that shines in the darkness. Hello, John chapter 1. Amen? Yeah, you recognize that. And that light shines to you and to me. And if we will receive that light and hear that word and apply that way of worship, then we can live according to the truth and the joy of the Lord. And we'll become a light to others. But in the days of the judges, people kept turning away from God, away from the order of worship. And so they fell under the oppression of the enemies around them who were given over to the ways of the world, which is the way of darkness. And in those days, everybody lived. Have you ever heard this phrase before? I think I've mentioned it, even in our judges series, that people live according to their own lights. You know what that means? It means... Somebody is living according to their own notion of things, their own values, their own morality, their own assessment. Now, that's a a neutral kind of statement in a sense. It doesn't tell you anything about what those morals are, what those values are. It just says that the person is deciding for themselves. I'm guiding my path according to my own lights. But what if your light is dark? Or what if your light goes out? What if your light is dim and a greater light could reveal to you greater enlightenment. When everybody was living and doing what was right in their own eyes, they turned a deaf ear to God's voice because they became less interested in what God wanted and more interested in what they wanted. Hello, that's a danger. Amen. I'm sure no one in the room can relate to that other than me, but maybe there's somebody else out there, maybe somebody in the streaming land who can relate to the reality that every now and again, you and I might prefer our way over the Lord's. And such were the days of the judges. And so even in the house of God, even in Shiloh, the people who had been set apart as those who were to help advocate and help assist the people to hear from God, to love the Lord, and to honor him, those people became corrupt clergy. Priests who were more interested in their selfish desires and appetites than in the things of the Lord. And because they turned a deaf ear to God's word, they heard it, but they didn't believe or apply it. They became blind in the spirit. And as blind guides, they were leading other people astray and doing damage in their world in the spiritual realm. But in this age of darkness, still the Lord found a willing servant and he found it in a little child. One of the great lessons of today's message is a lesson that we've already heard from the testimony of the campers, which is God can reach anyone at any time, no matter their age. We don't know exactly how old Samuel is in in, uh, chapter 3 of 1 Samuel when he hears from the Lord and has an encounter with the Lord, really. But what we can learn from this is, as a young boy, even before he knew the scriptures, even before he was versed in the things of being a priest, when he was just a little kid there as an assistant, God spoke to him. Never doubt that God can speak to little ones. Parents, realize, even if your child is still a toddler, God can and does speak to them in their hearts. Teach and train them to hear. Help them to understand 
that the proper response to that sense is, speak, Lord, your servant is listening, and also help them to cultivate that awareness and look for the voice of the Lord. How can they do that? Open the Bible with them and read it to them. Remind them that this is not just a book, but the word of God. Pray about what you read. Talk about what you read. And this isn't just for toddlers. This is also for your children at every age. But you may not be a parent. Nevertheless, someday you might be, or maybe you're an older sibling, or you're just a person on planet Earth who there are kids around you. Do you realize how precious those little kids are to God? Let them be precious to you too and realize that God can speak to them. Also remember the, uh, the acknowledgement that we began uh, this message with today. You're a child to God, and God can speak to you. You don't have to understand everything and know everything in order to hear from God. In fact, you'll never understand everything and know everything, certainly not on this side of eternity, and maybe even, not even on the other. But what you can know is that God will speak to you in a way that you are able to hear if you are willing to hear. He will speak through his word. He will speak by his spirit. He'll speak to your heart, and he will speak through his people. God reached out to Samuel, and Samuel was willing to receive. Because of that, God lit Samuel up as a light as unto the Lord, and he will do that for any one of us who choose to follow him today, which means to be a servant. You know, servant can have a pejorative connotation for us, but it's important for us to recognize it's a blessing and a privilege to be a servant to the Lord. And it doesn't diminish the reality of your relationship as a child of God. It's part and parcel of it. It's saying, Lord, as your child, you being my father, you being my savior, you also are my master. He's not cruel. He's not oppressive. That's the antithesis of who God is. But he does invite us to recognize the rightness of our submission to him. Being a servant simply says, your will is better than mine. When I want to go and you want me to wait, it's better that I should wait. When you want me to go and I want to wait, it's better that I should go. I want what you want. And wherever what I want is at odds with what you want, I ask, Lord, that you would change me. That's what being a servant of God is. But what God says is, if you really love me, show it by loving others and loving them in the way that I love you. So we saw last week that a faithful follower of the Lord will be a servant to God by serving the needs of others, not the wants and demands of others, but the God-acknowledged needs of others with reverence for God. And a faithful servant of the Lord will be one who believes and obeys. Let's say believes and applies God's word. Faithful, believing servant of the Lord will exhibit patient trust that is going to be required if we are going to faithfully follow God. And we need to hold on to that kind of patient trust no matter what comes. Let me put it in these terms. No matter what God says. Sometimes one of the biggest obstacles to hearing what God has to say is that we don't want to hear what God has to say because we don't like what God says is coming. You know why more people don't read the book of Revelation? People say it's confusing and it's confounding, but also a part of it is, I don't want to know if that's coming. Yes, you do. Because you don't want to be in the dark. You want to be in the light. Well, sometimes little kids who are scared of the dark do a funny thing. They pull the covers over their head, and it's darker still. Sometimes our response is, if I don't like what's coming, I'm going to block it out. And what is that about? I mean, in a scary movie, somebody could say, I just don't want to see what's going to happen next. But why is it that people block their eyes sometimes right before an accident? Because if what's coming is inevitable and it's horrible, I'd rather not see it. And it's a kind of primitive reversion to the idea. There's a certain developmental stage in children where they think, if I close my eyes and I can't see, I can't be seen. It isn't true. It actually is an action, a tactic of fear. I'm afraid. I want to hide and take it all away. But it doesn't take it all away. And actually, the best thing that you can do if you're headed for catastrophe is open your eyes, wake up, and smell the coffee. But sometimes we don't want to open our eyes. We want to pull the wool over our heads. 
And patient trust in God also means opening our eyes and ears to whatever it is that God has to say. Faithful, believing servant of the Lord will proceed in patient trust, attentive to God's guidance and will, revealed by his spirit and in his word, and that's what we're going to see Samuel learn in this passage. Now, interestingly enough, the passage begins by affirming the physical blindness of Eli the priest. And I want to make clear something here. When I talk about blindness and deafness in today's message, I'm going to be talking about it in the terms of the scripture, but it isn't to imply or or to any way affirm a notion that somebody who was born blind or made blind or deaf through disease or accident is somehow less human or less valuable or that that is somehow a reflection of God's judgment upon them personally for their sin or their parents' sin. Remember, that was an idea that even the disciples had when they said to Jesus when they encountered a man born blind. Why was he born blind? Was it because of his sin or was it because of his parents' sin? And Jesus said, no, it wasn't because of either of those. It was so that God could show the light. Now, the disciples aren't entirely wrong because what we're going to see in the scriptures is that God uses the limitations of blindness and deafness as physical realities to symbolize spiritual diminishment, spiritual handicap, if you will. It isn't to imply that people are, 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 are guilty of something because they are that way or that they're less valuable to God. But you and I ought to be able to affirm that there is something of a diminishment in blindness or deafness, that, that God has designed people to be able to see and to hear. When Jesus encountered blindness and deafness, he healed. And yet in that healing, he always made reference to sin too. It's not the individual sin that he is talking about there, but it is the reality of the syndrome of sin. That is, our world in its brokenness reveals our fallenness, reveals areas where we have fallen into darkness. And so the scripture utilizes these symbols to describe how when people have turned away from God in the spirit, get this now, when they've turned away from God in the spirit, there are real physical consequences in the natural world. You and I need to believe that. Otherwise, we reject a fundamental understanding of Scripture. When we are talking about the things of the Lord, we are not just talking about something that stays in the kind of safe sphere of the ether, invisible and susceptible to however I want to define it. That goes back to living according to our own lights and towards our own view of things. No, the spiritual realm is not inferior to the natural realm. The spiritual realm is the root base out of which the natural has grown and flourished. And so what happens in the spirit communicates into the natural world. Now, you and I are not adept at understanding that communication. We might be like the disciples who say, well, then if somebody is blind or deaf or they're having this problem or that problem, is it their sin or the sin of their parents? And what Jesus would say to us is, it isn't for you to try and track the calculus by which some circumstance has come to some person, but where are you blind? Where are you deaf? Look to your own spiritual situation and let the Lord bring light and enlightenment to you there. And then you will be better prepared to look around and see the world as it actually is. So Eli is going blind, and it seems as though there's a kind of a parallel here. Having gone blind to certain things in the spirit, he himself in his old age is actually going blind. And his sons, the priests, Hophni and Phinehas, having put to death their own spiritual sensitivity to the things of God, are going to come into a place of physical death because of the judgment of God, but the lamp of God had not yet gone out. I'll say more about that in just a moment when we look more closely at verse 3. In other words, God's light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot snuff it out. Samuel learns in chapter 3, in this passage, that to listen for and to the Lord is to open to his light of wisdom and his divine revelation. May we learn that as well as we look at the text together. It begins, as I say, essentially with a world in darkness and a darkening world, but the lamp of God is still shining in that dark world. And that lamp of God and that light of God and that voice of hope is a voice that you and I can hear 
But the passage teaches us that we may not recognize God's voice the first time it comes to us and that we need to open not only our ears but our hearts to hear what the Lord is speaking. Not just to hear it and, and judge it, but to hear it ready to obey it. And in obeying God's word, we are called to this, sharing God's word. Let me say that again. If you're going to hear God's word and understand it, be ready for the responsibility that comes with it. Again, this is one of the reasons why people may not actually really want to hear God or really want to understand the Bible because you become responsible and accountable in doing so. But let me tell you this. You're not unaccountable to God by being deaf to it. It's, it's like pulling the blankets over your head. You're not protecting yourself from anything. You're just positioning yourself for a worse outcome. So better that you and I should be prepared to hear, to believe, and then to proclaim, to share what the Lord has revealed of himself through his word. Hallelujah. Let's look at the first portion of the chapter. So the boy Samuel is ministering to the Lord. He's a young boy in the temple, the tabernacle, I should say. It's before the days of the establishment of the formal temple in Shiloh, where the Ark of the Covenant is as well. Now, in those days, as today, people were not accustomed to hearing from the Lord in a direct way, as the scriptures make clear that God desires to speak. And there were not many visions of the Lord. In other words, the more that people turn away from God, the less it seems to them that God speaks. The more that people close their eyes to God, the less they see him. Well, duh. That's not surprising, is it? And so people say today, well, I don't see any evidence of God, and I don't ever hear from God, and God never speaks to me. Yeah, because you're not listening, because you're not looking. Oh, I look all around. You're looking with the eye to judge. You're hearing with an ear to critique. That's not a heart that is open to believe. It's not a heart that is ready to receive faith. So in those days, not many people had a close relationship with God and his word. Now, Eli, who's going blind, he can barely see, is lying down one night. It's his, it's his little room there in the tabernacle. It's time to go to bed. But the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, I realize this is a literal statement. That is to say that there was a lamp in the tabernacle that was lit and the, it hadn't burned out yet. It was, still, it was still burning. But I believe that there is a figurative statement intended here. There is a symbolic arrangement being positioned for us, staged for us in the scripture here. And it's this. Here's this man who is supposed to be a servant of the Lord, but his, uh, his performance is iffy. It's spotty. And if you think I'm being hard on Eli, the same could be said of me and probably of you. Who here is ready to say we have perfectly submitted to God? Who here is ready to say that we perfectly follow God? It isn't our perfection, but rather Christ's that gives us assurance, yes? So we can relate to Eli, but Eli is someone who hopefully we don't relate to too closely because the difference, I think, between Eli and you or I, if we are to be faithful servants of God, is that Eli is sort of just going to sleep in that situation. He's just pulling the blankets up. It's like, I'm going blind. I'm going to die. My sons have gone off the rails. But oh, well, that's the way of the world. And what can I really do? And so he's just going to go to sleep. But the lamp of the Lord is still burning. The light of the Lord is still shining. And the voice of the Lord is about to speak. But he's not going to speak to the high priest, Eli, who's just going to sleep. He's going to speak to the little child, Samuel, who's ready to hear. Why? Because Samuel has to be ready. He might be called at any time. See, Eli, no, who's going to tell him what to do? Only God. And Eli's going to bed. But Samuel is alert because any one of them might call him. Hophni, Phinehas, Eli himself might call Samuel. And Samuel needs to be there at their beck and call. So Samuel is also lying down. And then the Lord called Samuel. So Samuel hears a voice, senses a presence, saying, Samuel. And he says, here I am. And he runs to Eli, ready to do, ready to fulfill. It's that attitude, that disposition that God is looking for in you and I. And you know what? Sometimes children have it better than we do as adults. Would that we would have that same sense, even if we are adults, no matter how old we become, that we would always be right at the ready to respond to the call of Jesus. Here I am, says Samuel to Eli. You called me because he assumes that's the voice he's hearing. And Eli, I think, probably a little irritated, 
What? I didn't call you. Go back. Lay down. It's quiet time. Maybe at camp we could relate to that too. It's resting time. No talking now. But the Lord isn't subject to those rules. He speaks. Samuel. Samuel gets up and goes to Eli. Here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. See, Samuel didn't yet know that this could be the Lord. Nobody had told him that. Not even the priest Eli. Here's this boy dedicated to the service of God. And Eli has so accepted the commonality that God doesn't speak that way anymore. And people don't have those kinds of visions of God that he never once took this little child whose entire life has been entrusted to his care and stewardship and said, now always be ready to hear from the Lord because even if no one else in the land is listening, you can open your heart to God and God speaks. Not at your beck and command, but at his will. So be ready in season and out of season, as Paul said to Timothy. The word of the Lord hadn't yet been revealed to him, but the voice of the Lord was speaking. I want to say something about this, and it could be considered controversial. I've tried to emphasize, and I will yet again, that our primary place of hearing from the Lord is through his scriptures and through his people. But I also want to tell you that here, in his word, God affirms that he speaks to the human heart. He does not depend on his scriptures. His scriptures depend on him. Now, they are alive, and he is in them. But the words themselves, which were inspired by the Spirit, are necessarily going to be interpreted by the Spirit. In other words, you need the Holy Spirit to understand the Word. The Spirit who spoke the Word and inspires the Word is alive in the Word. But you and I also need to realize God speaks to us in our quiet moments, to our heart. Yes, God speaks that way. I defy anyone to contradict that. I can tell you this. You can say that God does not speak directly into people's minds and hearts, but you are simply wrong. And if you ask me upon what authority do I say that, I say upon the authority of the living word. God speaks. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you hear his voice, you recognize it, or that every word you think you heard from him, you rightly understood or rightly applied or rightly interpreted. And the enemy can impersonate the voice of the Lord. So beware and be careful. That's why you want to know the scriptures. That's why you want to be connected to the body. But don't diffuse the reality that God speaks directly to human hearts. And you don't have to be an expert in the scripture to hear and receive and believe the voice of Jesus to you today. But what Jesus will call you to is to be a student of the scripture and a studier of the word. Scripture in itself repeatedly affirms that God's word is an illuminator. It sparks light that banishes the darkness. Go all the way back to the very beginning. Where does the word of God begin? In the beginning, darkness was over the face of the deep, and God said, the word, let there be light, the light. And there was light. The word and the light are one, and the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. There is a distinction and difference between God's light and the darkness, between the order of God and the chaos. And so in God's word, we receive order and orders, guidance from God. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, said the psalmist in Psalm 119. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? This is Isaiah in a visionary encounter with God in Isaiah chapter 6, in one of many places in which we are reminded that to resist or reject God's word is to turn away from the light. That's what was happening in Eli's time, under Eli's leadership. That's what was happening so often again and again in the days of the judges. And that's what's happening in our world again today. And in the time of Isaiah, a prophet in between the time of the judges and ours, if you will, he also lived in a world where people were turning away from the Lord, and then he had an encounter with God in the throne room of God where there was flame and fire, and God was saying, who can I send out into the world to carry my light and speak my word? And Isaiah whose tongue had been touched by the ember from the altar fire and whose eyes had been brightened by the light of the Lord, said, here I am, 
Speak, Lord, and I will hear your word and take it. That's what prophecy is. And so you see, prophetic gifting from God is about receiving the revelation of God's word, the rhema revelation of God's word, and serving it up to people in a way that will feed them because people don't live just by bread. They live by the word of God. And so Isaiah says, send me. But here's the message that God gives this willing servant to carry out. Go tell them you're hearing, but you don't hear. You're seeing, but you're blind. Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. And make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes unless they would see and hear and understand and turn and repent and be healed. Now, what God is saying here is not a curse. He is revealing the reality of consequences. He's saying, I'm speaking, I'm showing, but you, even though you say we hear, even though you say we see, you don't believe. They're like Hophni and Phinehas. You know that there's a God. You know the story of Jesus. How many in our world today know about Jesus and know about the Bible and say, I know all about that, but they don't believe in their heart. And far be it from us that any of us in the body of Christ should be operating in that way. Because what God says is, if the word has been shown to you and the light has been lit for you and you turn away from it, then no matter how much you hear, you're deaf. And no matter how much you see, you're blind. And no matter how much you think you know, you don't understand. And no matter how alive you think you are in this moment, you are the walking dead. But if you would turn and walk to me, then you could live. Then you could see. That's what Jesus said. He said, this is why I teach in parables. Later this year, I'm going to do a series on a set of parables of Jesus. Parables of patience, no surprise. Jesus said, I use parables to fulfill what Isaiah said. Because this people's heart has become calloused. He quotes from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, which reveals the ancient understanding of Judaism of that passage was that God was saying, if you have a calloused heart, you're going to have deafened ears. You're going to have blinded eyes. You're going to have a deadened spirit. But if you would turn to me and hear and believe, I would heal you. You see, it's not a curse, it's a promise, but it is a warning. There's nowhere healing except in God. Ignoring God's voice amounts to rejecting God's light. Do you remember in the, uh, in the, uh, the wonderful uh, story by Dickens that so many of us see and hear again and again every Christmas, a Christmas carol? I, I'm looking forward to something special this Christmas with a Christmas carol. Well, there's a scene in that where Ebenezer Scrooge, I believe it's with the first ghost, the ghost of Christmas past, who is this shining light. If you read the, the short story, the, this sort of angelic messenger is a shining light of God and shows Ebenezer Scrooge episodes from his past. And Scrooge begins to reckon with the reality of his own disobedience and cruelty and hardship. And he's so burdened by what he sees that he would rather be blind. And there's this a snufter, like you put a candle out with, that serves as a cap, and he tries to squeeze it onto the head of the ghost of Christmas past. He wants to extinguish that light because he can't stand what it shows him. But the ghost says, it shines still. And Dickens knew, it's the light of Christ. You cannot extinguish it, but you can ignore it, at least for a while. And so if we don't want God's will, if we aim to resist it, we are going to adopt deafened ears, ears deaf to his word. We're going to fall into spiritual blindness to his light and truth. Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, if you're living according to your own lights, remember this, this is the window to the soul. If your eye is really clear, if it's getting light in, that's how the light, that's how the eye sees, by the way, light comes in, then it will be full of light. In other words, he's saying there'll be light coming out too. In other words, light in, light out. But you know the other adage, garbage in, garbage out, right? If your eye is bad, if your eye is closed, if the window to your soul is dirty and the soul is dirtier still, then imagine how full of darkness you are. If the light, quote unquote, in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If you think that you know the answer, but the answer rejects or resists God, then the answer is not only wrong, but it's devastating. It's deadly. It's darkening. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, we studied this letter together last year, about this very phenomenon. 
he says, even though the people of the world, the people who have turned away from God, even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God. They didn't worship him. They didn't give thanks to him. And in doing so, they became futile in their thinking. In other words, they rejected his word to the point that they became deaf to it, and they became blind to the light, and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, they rejected the light outside, and they lost it inside. And now there's darkness so that even if there's light all around them, they're operating according to the dark within them. And when you and I give place to those fleshly appetites and sinful impulses so common to us, our impatience, our wickedness, our our anger, our lust, our greed, our pettiness, our depression, our anxieties, when we give place to those, I'm not saying that you should somehow be a perfect person. I'm saying God wants to perfect you. But when you hold on to that stuff and say, well, I'm allowed this, or this is just the way it is, or this is how I'm supposed to be, you give yourself over to a kind of inner darkness so that even when the light of the Lord is shining around you, you and I are stepping into foolishness when we step into fleshliness. We're stepping into the dark. Don't do it. A friend of mine altered my message for this Sunday. I had it all prepared. And then just a few days ago, I think day before yesterday, he sent me this, Romans 121, which was actually already part of the message. And he's Swiss-German, and he knows that I I love language, and he loves language, too. He used to work at Berlitz, the famed uh, translation company. And so he sent me this image that he created. By the way, if you use YouVersion or the Bible app, you can do this, too. There's other apps, I'm sure. But you can make an image of a verse that you like in any translation available there. You can send it to friends. What a great way to proclaim and share the word, right? That's what we're coming to. And so here in Romans 121 in German... He noted that it ends with this German term, finster, finster. Finally, their hearts grew dark. Finally, their hearts were darkened. Now, what's interesting about the German term finster is that it has a dual meaning or application. And I suppose you could say this in English, too. It's dark, gloomy, grim, obscure. But then it actually enters into the moral realm, sinister. In other words, this is not just darkness that obscures. It's darkness with an agenda. It's darkness that deludes, that deceives, that derails and takes people in the wrong direction. Finsta. I thought that was powerful. I said, that's the Finsta phenomenon. I'm going to coin that term. I don't know if anybody has yet or not, but I like it. It means something to me. So I thought I ought to go and take a look at what the original word in the Greek text is. Skatidzo to darken, to cover with darkness. Now, if you follow the uh, roots of that root term, because it's, it's, uh, that's the root of the word that is being deployed there, you'll see that skatizo, to darken, is derived from skatos, darkness, which is derived from skia, shadow. A shadow results from what? I asked my family today, this morning, because I thought, I want to see how people respond to this. I said, what do you need in order to produce a shadow? Light. Number one, right? Now, light on its own won't produce the shadow. There needs to be something interposed between the perceiver and the light source. There needs to be something that is obscuring or intercepting the light. And in fact, depending on what that is, it may just diffuse the light or it may completely darken it. If you have a window and you have a little lace curtain in it, You can see the light come through, but there's a shadow of the curtain. It's sort of a um, half shadow, right? It's it's a a, a certain diminishment of the light, but it's different than the wall, which completely obscures it. But the point here is it's light that exists and the shadow that is merely an interaction with the light, an interception of the light, something obscuring or blocking. So the Finster phenomenon is that something is interposing between our relationship with God. Something is standing between us and the light of the Lord. And the reversal of that phenomenon is what enlightens. Once again, the prophet Isaiah, once again quoted in the scriptures here in Matthew chapter 4, declares, the people living in skotos, darkness, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of skia, shadow, of death, a light has dawned. And this was the message of Jesus. Matthew relates it as Jesus was in 
uh, uh, Galilee, the land of the Gentiles. There were many Gentile people around. In the days of the judges, there were all these Gentiles that were leading God's people away into idolatry. But in the days of Jesus, Jesus grew up in an, uh, in an area where there were many foreigners around, but he became a light to them. And now these people were, were disdained among the, the Jewish elite as being unavailable to God. The way a priest might look at a little child. Well, if God's going to speak, he's going to speak to me, not the little kid. But the difference is those were the people who were ready to hear. Those are the people who in their need were looking for the Lord and a light shines to them. This is not to say that Jewish people are bad and Gentile people are better, but rather to say God is looking for the open ear and the available heart. And sometimes familiarity with the things of God can make us deaf to the voice of God. I should probably repeat that. Sometimes familiarity with the things of God, the religious accoutrements, can, can deafen us, if we allow it, to the vitality of God's presence speaking. Jesus says, I'm the light, and the light is shining. And what the light reveals is your need to repent, to turn away from the land of the shadow of death, and two, the kingdom of heaven and light, because it's within you, it's here. Jesus, when he talked about the last days in Matthew 24, said, after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be scotizo, darkened. Here you see that the Finster phenomenon that operates in individuals and affects entire nations ultimately is going to extrapolate out to affecting the whole world. All of creation is being subjected ultimately to the consequence of human depravity and demonic uh, disobedience. Ultimately, the darkness of the devil and people who are given over to him will communicate to the entire natural world. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give out its light. The stars fall from the sky. The powers of heavens, the spiritual powers in the heavenlies are shaken. And finally, in the book of Revelation, similarly, we see Scatizzo again. The fourth angel blows a trumpet. A third of the sun was struck a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of their light were darkened. In other words, there's a diminishment of light in the natural world because people and spiritual beings have given themselves over to darkness. It's a warning from God. Turn away from me and you turn to the dark. But the good news of God is you can flip that around. Turn towards me and you turn towards the light. And you can walk in the light to know and do God's will. That should be our aim. That's what it means to be a servant. And if we aim to do that, then we need to endeavor to open our ears to God's word, which means open the Bible to your eyes and read it with a hunger for understanding it. Attending to God's voice leads to receiving enlightenment from God. That's what Samuel learned. Third time the Lord speaks and says, Samuel, and this time, Eli at last does something good. Samuel comes to him and says, here I am. Samuel must be thinking, maybe it's a test. But he doesn't stop. He doesn't think, oh, I must be imagining it. He doesn't go, Eli's going crazy. He doesn't think, I guess I, I, I can just disregard this. He keeps going back. And finally, Eli says, realizes a light comes on. It's the cartoon moment, a light bulb over the head. And it's the light of the Lord. I'm the one speaking to him. I think one of Eli's most sterling moments is here. You can see the best aspect of Eli's nature when he says, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Let's say a good word about Eli here. And maybe it's a word for you. There are people who long ago heard things from God, who long ago dreamed dreams from God but who long ago gave up believing that those things could come true. And maybe it's a young person crossing your path who would remind you that there is real revelation, who would remind you that no matter how blind you might have allowed yourself to become over the years, you can see the light again by helping them to hear from the Lord. If you're having difficulty hearing from God, pray to him and say, speak, Lord, but also look for someone in your arena of influence that you could be an aid to in helping them to hear from God. And maybe in doing that, you'll receive a word back to yourself. So Samuel 
follows what Eli says. He goes back. He lies down. The Lord, now listen here. This is not just the voice of the Lord speaking. Look what it says. The Lord came and stood there. This is not only hearing from the Lord, but there's a visionary encounter now that Eli, excuse me, that Samuel has because Eli has prepared him. And then Samuel does as Eli has taught. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And the Lord pours out a message. See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. These ears that have gone deaf, I'm going to prick them. I'm going to make them tingle and burn. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I've spoken against his family. Remember the man of God from 1 Samuel 2 that we looked at in the, in the sermon last week? That man said that because of this unfaithfulness of your sons, they and this, this generation, as it were, is going to be judged, and you're going to lose the light of the Lord for a little bit. In other words, this wonderful ark of God's covenant that has empowered your relationship with him is going to be taken from you. And your nation that I have tried to bolster up is going to crumble down. And the sign to you that all these things are going to happen is your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, so disobedient and decadent and wicked, are going to die on the same day in their young age. And that that will be something that will happen throughout your, your, your family line. I told him I would judge his family because his sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. The guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. That might sound harsh, but what God is saying is there is a point when you have so extinguished the light in your life or so turned into the path of darkness that there is a point of no return. This is God saying there is a place beyond which you can't come back. No one hearing my voice today has yet crossed that threshold if they fear it. What do I mean? I mean, if somebody hears that and goes, ah, I don't care, they may already be past it. But if you hear that and you think, oh God, I hope that's not me, it isn't. Because you couldn't even have that much enlightenment unless there was still something of God's light shining on you. But don't ignore it. As long as it's still called today, hear the voice of the Lord because there does come a day when you can't. And it's not because God is mute. It's because you're deaf. So don't let it happen. An unwatchful church, said the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, will soon become an unholy church. You don't want to live in the light of the Lord. You can't be a light to the world. And it won't be neutral. You will become something interposed between the truth of God and the world. You will become a shadow, a shadow maker. You will become dark and darkened, you and I if we do not constantly seek the light of the Lord. But the lamp of the Lord has not gone out. So look to the light. Listen for the voice. Charles Spurgeon also said, no man ever fell into error by being too watchful. You cannot go wrong if you are too interested in what God has to say. You cannot be too interested in God's will. You will not go wrong by looking for his light but you may receive a word that you don't know what to do with. Little kid Samuel, this little boy, and now what is he going to do? He's got a message to go to Eli and say, well, God said he's going to judge you and your sons are going to die. And the Bad news. I thought we were supposed to have good news. You know, today, you and I are called to reach people with the good news of Christ, but if you do not include the warning, they will not receive the blessing. So sometimes we sit on it all night long. I know this is what God is saying, but how do I share it? It isn't that you should share it cruelly. But if you hold back the light that God has given you, that's a fire that could end up burning in your bones. You've got to give vent to the word of the Lord. Eli calls him and says, Samuel, tell me, what was it that God said to you? But Samuel doesn't want to share it. I'm nervous, you know. And Eli said, God will judge you. God will deal with you, even severely, if you hide from me what he has told you. 
Now, listen, I think Eli's right there. I think this is another sterling moment of Eli. It might sound like he's being cruel or crass, but I think he is, in fact, following this line of training that he has finally instigated with, with Samuel. He's saying, you can't hold it back. If it came from God, then it will be to your detriment if you don't share it with me. So Samuel tells him everything. He didn't hide anything from him. What boldness, what courage, what, what earnestness in Samuel's young heart. But here you see the kind of cynicism of Eli. Well, he's God. I guess he's going to do whatever he wants to do. I think, I interpret this, that you can sense something of the decline of Eli's spirit in this. Because what the righteous response would be, would be first of all, not resignation. There's a difference between submission and resignation. I'll say again, there is a difference between submission and resignation. If you think that patiently following and trusting the Lord is just saying, well, he's God. I thought he was going to do it. He should have done it. He didn't do this, or he's going to do that, or he's probably going to really lay it on me, but you know, he's God. I, I just acknowledge that. That's not faithful. That's resignation. But if you say, oh Lord, whatever you do is right. But please, Lord, help me. What might have happened in Eli, at least, if not in his line, if he would have had that attitude? Don't resign yourself to the worst of what you interpret from God's word. Look to the Lord. Ask, seek, knock, repent, and adore. Whatever God chooses to do is good. So if it doesn't seem good to you, the result is not to say, well, he's God, so be it, but to say, Lord, change me so that I see this situation as you see it. That's the kind of attitude that an attentive servant adopts, and that's what Samuel does as he grows up. And the Lord honors Samuel for that. Because Samuel speaks God's word, and he does this throughout his days, even to authority, the king of the whole land, he will call a spade a spade. He will see the dark and call it dark. He will see the light and call it light. And he will not stand for some notion of intermingling of the two. He will speak the whole counsel of God. And because he speaks all of God's word, none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. In other words, they don't just fall to the wayside. They are seed that are planted and spring up with life. And everybody in the whole nation acknowledges that Samuel is a prophet of the Lord because of his response when he was just a child. Now, the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh. In other words, there's a revival in that house of God because one child opened to the voice of the Lord because one child was willing to say what God gave him to say. The whole house had an encounter of God's presence. PCF, what would the Lord Jesus Christ do in you and I if you and I would say today, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and if we would share with one another the whole counsel of God's word. Amen? There can be revival in our own hearts and revelation to each one of us of God through his word. Will you say that? Through his word. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before you. You feel like, well, the message of God is a message that isn't going to be well received in the world. Right correct. If it was, you'd be giving the wrong message. Jesus was put to death because of what he taught. We like to think, oh, people loved Jesus, not enough to save him, but he loved us enough to save us by dying for us. But the world crucified him. If you were of the world, said Jesus, the world would love you as its own. So if the world loves you too much, be careful. You may be walking more in the dark than in the light. If there isn't any pushback for you and I on our attitudes and our, our, our words from the world around us, we should be concerned. I'm not saying that we should covet or cultivate animosity. Far be it. But expect that there will be challenge. But Jesus said, I chose you. I've called you, he's saying. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than their master. If you're really going to serve the master, you've got to give the whole word of the Lord and expect the same kind of response. If they persecuted Jesus, 
they'll persecute you. But if they, if anyone anywhere received the word of Jesus, then they will receive it from you too. Don't be surprised, says John in 1 John 3, when the world hates you, but we have passed out of death into life. We are no longer in the shadow of death. We are living in the light of the Lord, and that light is love. We love the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ. Whoever doesn't have love doesn't have light. They are abiding in death. In the beginning, John wrote, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In him was life, and the life was the light of people, and it shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never overcome it. So there is a message that you and I have. There is a reality. We live in a dark world, and we have darkness in our own soul, but there is a way to hear from God. What is the way to hear from him? To open to him. Open his word, open our hearts, and say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. But it's no good to say that and then not to speak it. We have to share the message. And this is the message that we have heard from him and that we proclaim to the world, that God is light. There's no darkness in him. Nothing of what he asks for, nothing of what he says is dark. If it seems like darkness to you and I, it is we who need to be enlightened. His word is light. If we say that we have fellowship with him, but we're walking in the things of the darkness, we are liars and we don't have the truth in us. But if we will walk in the light of the Lord as he is in the light, we will not only have fellowship with one another, we will have it with him, our Savior, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin and the light of the Lord will extinguish the darkness in you and through you forever. Amen? Let's pray. Hallelujah. Give an applause to the Lord. Lord, as we clap our hands, even there at home, clap your hands. Clap them harder. What we are saying is, you are our light. We need you. We can't see without you. We are blind without you. We are deaf without you. We are dead without you. But Lord, we ask for you to speak to us today. In fact, we acknowledge that you have. And so, Lord, wherever there is something interposing between us and you, something, even if it's just a veil that's just diminishing some of your light, it's not totally blocking it, but it's something that's diffusing it, that's taking off its brightness from application in our life. Pull back that veil, Lord, we pray, and, and show us how to pull it back. In fact, Lord, if it's something even thicker than a veil, if it's a curtain that completely blocks out the light, of your truth and has put us in the place of darkness and it's so heavy that we find we can't move it. Lord, we remember the curtain that tore from top to bottom in the temple when you died on the cross that opened up the Holy of Holies and revealed that the lamp of the Lord had not gone out even when the Christ died on the cross. Your light was only shining brighter. So tear through every division between us and you today, Lord. Burn away everything that would block and obscure and create shadow. And fill us with light, Lord. Give us the courage to share what you say to the world around us, even if it's a challenging word. Give us the courage, Lord, to clear out of our lives the clutter that obscures and darkens. And somewhere... Someone just needs, maybe it's all of us, to turn to God today. The word in the scriptures for that is repentance. It's saying, I acknowledge that I think you've been speaking and I haven't been listening. Or I acknowledge that I haven't been hearing at all and I thought you weren't speaking, but I still recognize today I'm not really listening. Or maybe it's someone who says, I've been listening and I've been listening but I haven't realized that your silence is speaking to me. And for all those kinds of situations and any other, the prayer that I ask you to pray with me is, speak, Lord. I am your servant. I give my life to you. I give my heart to you. I open to you. Whatever you have to say about any circumstance or situation, I'm not going to hold on to my views on things if they're at odds with yours. But Lord, you're about so much more than political persuasions or doctrines. Even those things that come under your light and get reshaped by you, they're not primary because right now what I realize, Lord, is you want my heart. You want to touch my heart with your fire and your light. Do that in me, Lord.
And right now, the Lord is touching hearts. Right now, the Lord is opening ears. Ephrathah, be opened. Be opened. Be opened. Let the light flood in. Let the light fill you. There's joy. Stop being afraid. You're redeemed. You're saved. You're forgiven. You want to be? You can be. You will be. You are. Receive. Believe. Apply. Flourish. Multiply. The Lord loves you. He is with you. He'll guide you. He is speaking. Listen and live in the light. Amen. I want to thank you all for being part of today's service. If you need prayer today, I want to ask you as we conclude our service, it's not part of the service time. We're going to end. Come forward to this step here and let me pray with you or one of our other pastors. I'll ask any pastors that can remain for a few minutes. If you need prayer over something special and just private, come forward and have that after we conclude today. We'll be here. And for you streaming at home, Maybe you can't walk up to this platform today, but join us anytime or share your prayer request with us online at mypcf.org. We want to be part of the body of light and hope for you in Jesus Christ. Until we join together again, may the Lord be a light to your feet, a lamp to your path, and the joy of your heart. Amen.